Yes, it's true. We're back. Hey, thanks for listening in on another Boing podcast interview special. Yes, I know it's been a while, but I'm back and thrilled as ever to have the privilege, and I do mean a privilege, to interview this month's special guest. Al Jaffe is a name recognized by almost everyone on the planet who has flipped through the pages of a mad magazine since 1964. Like many of my esteemed guests, there was so much more to the artist behind their perhaps most popular or recognized works. Mr. Jaffe has an incredible story to tell. He has seen it all literally, and at the age of 91 continues to work and shares talents with the world through his beautiful illustrations and brilliant fold-ins at MAD. He co-authored his biography at age 90, and his book, Al Jaffe's Mad Life, is a must-read for avid Jaffe fans. I spent well over an hour with Al talking about his incredible experiences and insight to a wonderfully mad career. That interview, coming up next, after this message. I like the fruit, fruit flavor of tricks, tricks, tricks. I like the fruit, fruit flavor of tricks, tricks, tricks. I like the fruit, fruit flavor of tricks, tricks, tricks. But tricks are meant for kids. <laughs> yes, sir. Tricks are for you. It's the corn cereal with fruit flavor goodness. Fruit colors, too. So try tricks. sneaking over to the magazine aisle in the grocery store as a kid at age 10 and thumbing through Mad Magazine leading me straight to the fold-in section. I would gleefully look at the splendor of watercolor art and crazy wackiness before my very eyes that permeated the page only to be dazzled by the transformation that occurred when the page was folded just right. I may not have always understood the satire but I fully understood the genius behind the imagery. It was interactive eye candy in 1974. To a 10-year-old, it was glorious. I'm now 47, and you know what? It's still glorious. So sit back in your easy chair, or at your art desk, or wherever you happen to be, and get ready for a 90-minute one-on-one with cartooning legend L. Jaffe. Next. Tell us a little bit about your early days, and I know... I'm assuming you were given the name Abraham at birth. That's uh, did, correct. How did El Jaffe come to be, and how did this take place? How did the name change happen, or why did that happen? Well, uh, to be frank with you, uh, what it was is that uh, Abraham was was a name given to me because uh, I was named after, uh, I, I think it was a relative of my mother's. Uh, it was usually children were named after uh, people in those days, and this was 1921. But 1921 uh, was not too far away from uh, uh, 1865 when the uh, Civil War took place, and it, uh, you know the the uh, in some areas of the South the Civil War is still going on. 
So um, Abraham Lincoln wasn't all that popular. And uh, uh, when I, uh, you know, when I hung out with other kids, uh, they would tease me about it. And in the schoolyard, when I went to, um, I think it was either kindergarten or first grade, something like that, um, uh, they pointed out to me that I was a Yankee. Uh, because of of my name, Abraham. Right. Uh, I mean, even though it's a b- biblical name, and the people in the South are are fundamentalists, uh, still they 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 had a sore spot for Abraham Lincoln. And uh, but that didn't bother me, uh, and you know, I didn't I didn't think about it much after that. However, when when I uh, graduated from um, high school and started to uh, look for work, uh, it was a time when uh, Hitler was uh, already uh, operating in, in uh, Hitler's anti-Semitism was very powerful. And there was a, a great deal of sympathy in the United States for Hitler, which a lot of people would like to sweep under the rug. Uh, and uh, uh, and the anti-Semitism that was connected with it uh, permeated a lot of the organizations that hired artists or uh, advertising agencies, for example, who uh, would prefer not to hire anyone who was Jewish. So, uh, you know, I, I I always felt that uh, my name Abraham was like a uh, uh, you know like a, a bad mark that that uh, was going to prevent me from advancing anywhere. Right. And uh, but I didn't I didn't do anything about that until one day in the army when I was in, in I was assigned to the Pentagon. Uh, a, a, a fellow soldier came by and he was very happy and you know he had he had a, 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 I think a, a name that was like Lifshitz or something like that and he wanted to change it and he found out that he could do it without any cost and any soldier could that you just had to go to the courthouse in uh, in Virginia and uh, and it would be done in no time at all. So I said, well, finally, I'll change my name for professional purposes to Al Allen instead of Abraham. And that's the whole story. Now, you were born in Savannah, Georgia, correct? Is that That's correct. Okay. How did it, from what I've, the information that I have, it's that you were born in Savannah, but then you moved to Lithuania, and then you ended, back in, you ended up back in the States. Why the move to Lithuania? Uh, my mother who uh, she was uh, quite religious uh, and she found that, uh, you know, the community in Savannah, even though they had a, um, they had a fairly, a fairly well-established uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, congregation at the local synagogue and all that, she was a small town, a village girl, really, and she pined for the life uh, that she remembered in Lithuania. But she she only intended to go uh, for a short visit to 
for old time's sake to uh, see her her father and sister and other relatives and so that's where we went the first time and then my father came after she, she was supposed to say i think maybe a month or so but we stayed a, a year and then my father got uh he 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 was still in in savannah running a department store and he he became very angry and he came over and he he dragged this back and um and then the the crash of 1929 took place and he lost his job and we were in dire straits and my mother decided that was a good time to go back again so she dragged us back to Lithuania this time we stayed uh for for 3 years uh 3 or 4 years I we stayed it, 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 the, the whole thing was about 6 years i see and uh, then finally uh, in 1933, Hitler became chancellor of Germany, and my father decided he was, uh, you know, he was uh, just, he's got to rescue his family. Uh, although Hitler had not uh, invaded Lithuania yet, but he borrowed money from all his relatives, and he came over and insisted that we all come back. And my mother uh, said, she asked to stay a little bit longer with my youngest brother and uh, she would join us, you know, after she settled her affairs there. So my father took me and two of my brothers back to America and, uh, but my mother never came back. Mm -hmm. We did, however, managed, my father did, however, manage to, through a very devious means, uh, rescue my youngest brother uh even after the war had invaded lithuania i mean you know the russians invaded lithuania but he he managed to get my youngest brother out so he got he got all his children out but his wife remained there uh so all this is going on and when did you start to realize you had this uh tendency toward you know doing some creative work some art i mean how did you when did that fit into all this, you know, back and forth and, you know, traumatic during this traumatic time? Um, one of the, one of the pledges I made my father, uh, make to me, uh, I loved, uh, the Sunday, uh, the, uh, daily and Sunday funnies in the newspapers. I mean, I just copied them all the time. And so did my brother, Harry. The two of us were constantly drawing, and uh, I was I was more of a cartoonist, and Harry was more of a real artist. I mean, he could do photographic. He would copy photographs, and I copied cartoons. And uh, it, before we went to Lithuania, I made my father swear that he would send us the, the comic strips from the newspapers. And throughout the six-year time that we spent uh, in the in these travails uh, he uh, every three or four months we would get this huge roll because he would save all the cartoons from the daily newspapers and, and Sunday roll them up and send us send it to us and we loved it and we used to copy them and then we would make up our own comic strips uh, using the characters from these funnies and uh, uh, and 
in fact, I think we uh, managed to learn uh, to learn to read and write uh, English from the, the cartoons because um, when we first went to Lithuania, I was only six and Harry was four and a half, and uh, so our strong desire to know what was going on in these comic strips. Uh, we asked our mother every word, you know, and she would tell us the word, and then we'd go back and read and ask another word. And it was so important for us to understand what was going on that, uh, you know, pretty soon it started. we started remembering the words. And I really believe that's, that's how, when we returned to America, we were able to uh, enter school and be skipped uh, because uh, uh, you know we we knew the language. Yeah, that's incredible. That's a great story. I th- you know it's funny, and I've interviewed several several artists that say that they did this, basically they kind of cut their teeth basically by copying other you know other comics and other cartoons. It's just oh, that's sure. how they you know. Now, do you recall like your do you recall your very first paying job, paying art job, and and what was that about, if you can elaborate uh, on that? My very first uh, would be difficult because uh, I think while I was in high school, uh, teachers uh, recommended me to somebody who was doing a newsletter or something like that, and uh, I would make a drawing for it. I don't, I don't have any copies, and I don't even remember what they were, but... Uh, this is during the depression, and uh, uh, and they would give me a dollar or two for making the drawing. So I don't really consider that a, a paying job. But my first paying job was uh, wor- uh, working for Will Eisner, the creator of the Spirit. Sure. And uh, I I I created a feature, uh, and I. Excuse me. <clears throat> I didn't write any kind of story or anything. I just I made a drawing of this of the character, and I made a drawing of the uh, sinister characters that he would be facing, and I titled it Inferior Man. You know, it was a very early attempt at some kind of uh, satirical uh, point of view. Um, you know, it was just a silly idea. Yeah, well, and uh, I showed it to somebody, and, and this person said, you know, Will Eisner is, is looking for artists because he's he's packaging comic books. Why don't you go see him? So I, I went up there with just this single drawing colored with watercolor of Inferior Man flying through the air. And, of course, Inferior Man looked like uh, Wally Cox, if you remember what he looked oh, like. Oh, gosh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he had stockings on with garters. Oh, that's so and, and he was flying in, in underwear shorts with a cape. And <laughs> my idea was that by day he was this quiet little accountant, and by night he fancied himself uh, water, Walter Mitty-like as a crime fighter. And then, you know, I wrote one little sequence where he uh, saw a horrible crime going on and he 
he jumped into a telephone booth and changed into civilian clothes and snuck away so he wouldn't get into trouble. (laughs) He was great. He was an anti-hero, but uh, uh, Will Will Eisner said, you know, I I like the idea, and I'm and uh, I'm going to hire you on staff, ten dollars a week, and uh, uh, we'll use it as a one or two page filler in in military comics. And then he said, but we have to change him from an accountant. We have to put him into the army as a um, a, a private in the ordnance department. Uh, where he hands out uh, equipment or something like that. And then at, at, by night, he becomes a, a, a quirky superhero. Uh, so you were, you were probably okay with that. I was, I was okay with it but, uh, it, but I just didn't know how to handle it because uh, if you're going to do satire, you have to have uh, some knowledge of what you're satirizing. And I had never been in the Army so I really didn't know how to handle the uh, army background of it. I, um, I mean, uh, you know, I don't. I really didn't even know what what the uh, you know the the section of the army that Will had put him in. So um, it 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 wasn't working too well because uh, I I just didn't I, I lost the handle on it. But Will was very nice to me, and he kept he kept me doing it for uh, a few issues. And then one day he he said to me, "I, d- I don't think it's working out, but I'm I'm going to get you another job where you continue continue doing it, because a friend of mine, Ed Cronin, is also packaging comic books, and you can go there and and do it." And uh, so I did that for a little while, and then moved on I, well, I i got a break uh which which led led me to stan lee okay i was going to ask you guys i know you have you've had some time with um timely comics atlas and then marvel correct yes i yeah. timely comics originally it was originally timely comics and then it changed into marvel but i arrived at uh Timely Comics with, with uh, you know, a pretty thin portfolio. Uh, Stan Lee had just taken over as editor. Uh, Simon and Kirby had left to start their own comic business. And uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Simon and Kirby. Of course, yep. Joe Simon just recently died, I think. And, um, uh, I mean, they, they created Captain America. They, they were really hot. And, um, and so I think they went to, to do a a comic book called crime doesn't pay, which was also very successful. But Stan was a kid. I think he was 19 years old when he took over. And, uh, well, I walked in with, uh, I had been through a, a few other stages of my uh, beginning career, and I walked into Stanley with a, a few things to show him, and he looked at my stuff just quickly, and then 
grabbed the script, handed it to me, and said, if you can do that, you'll, you'll keep doing it. And, and uh, the, the, that, that script was Squat Car Squad. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. No, I'm not. That's, that's never heard of that. Well, Squat Car Squad was uh, really a, a, um, a ripoff or a takeoff on the Pepsi-Cola cops. Pepsi-Cola, during that period of time, in the, just the very early 40s, maybe 1941 or so, had uh, a half page in, in newspaper comics where these two uh, bumbling cops would, uh, you know, they would do funny things as crime chasers, and then they would wind up at the end of the panel uh, you know, slugging down a couple of Pepsi Colas, and so it was. There were there were a lot of uh, uh, cartoon ad, cartoon advertising was became very popular at that time in the uh, Sunday newspapers, and uh, so a fellow by the name of Ken Platt, who was uh, a well-known uh, writer at that time, wrote this script for. To, and sold it to Stanley, called Squat Car Squad, which was based with two bumbling cops, just like the Pepsi Cola cops. And um, Stanley handed that script to me and said, "You can do it. You can keep on doing it." So I did it, brought it in. He liked it, and he says, "All right, keep on doing. It. Now you write it and you draw it." Okay, I did that, and. Uh, I did quite a number of those, and then one day he came to me and he said, uh, can you do animals? Okay, yeah. And he said, I'd like you to create an animal feature for me. So I tried to figure out what kind of an animal can I do that isn't being done already. I mean, the Disney you know, studios were turning up animal things and uh, Mighty Mouse was out there and so I, I, re I thought well you know no one no one's doing a seal so I'll I'll do a seal I, so I drew up the character of Silly Seal and um, brought it to Stanley and he said great I like it he said now you have to give him a little uh, you know a sidekick and I said, well, how about a pig? And he said, great, we'll call it Ziggy. And that's how uh, Silly Seal and Ziggy Pig came into being. Yeah, that is incredible because, you know, I have to confess, I'd never heard of that or seen that. And then one day there was a group of comics I picked up on eBay, and that was in the stack, and I'm going through it. And I love the, the funny animal strips from the yesteryear. I love them in the, in the comics. Yeah. And I'm looking at the um, book, and I saw the – Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal. I'm like, what is this? I'm reading it and I'm laughing, and I didn't even realize it was that you had worked on that. It was your baby, and I thought the more research I did on it, I looked it up, and there it was. I'm going, oh my god, I said, this is incredible. So you learn something new all the time, but and then, and that's why it was, it was one of my big questions that I wanted to ask you how you got involved with that, and that's interesting. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm uh, to uh, full disclosure, you know. Uh, I did it until I went into the 
uh, Air Force. And uh, then, you know, I would walk into the um, uh, Air Force uh, commissary and uh, they would always have stacks of uh, periodicals and a lot of comic books, believe it or not. And uh, and I'd see Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal coming out every month. And not only, I mean, some of them, uh, they would expand it into just with Ziggy and just with Silly. And uh, they, it, it seems that they just couldn't put out enough of it. And it was done by, you know, other people because I was no longer there. But I'm, I will not relinquish credit for creating them. Yeah. Uh, I, I did create them, and then it was done by many, many other artists. Yeah, that's incredible. That's a great story. Now, now I guess I'm going to take us to when you finally got hooked up with Mad Magazine. And is that, was it not too long after... When you got out of the Air Force, or how, when did that start come into play? No, when I got out of the uh, Air Force, as a matter of fact, I uh, got in touch with Stan Lee. Uh, the, uh, the war was over, and we are all just sitting around waiting to be discharged. Uh, but the military, you know, they had millions of people in, in the service, and uh, you can't discharge them all in one day, so uh, it took months and months to get out. But one thing I, I heard from a fellow uh, soldier who said to me, there's a new rule. If you have a job to go to, a confirmed job, they will let you out very early, almost immediately. So I got in touch with Stan Lee, and I said, Stan was, had gotten out of the service uh, some months earlier and went back to being the editor. And I said, uh, well, I told him what I just told you. And he said, just tell me who to write a letter to. You have a job if you come here. And I wrote the letter and I got out of, uh, three, three months earlier. And uh, I did have a job with him. And I worked on staff for a couple of years. Uh, and one day he came to me and he said, I want to uh, make you an associate editor. And I said, no, thanks. <laughs> I don't want the responsibility. I, I was working in the bullpen with a, a bunch of uh, other guys, and we just came in every day, and we, we did what we had to do, and we went home at, at 5 o'clock. So uh, he said, you are going to be an editor whether you like it or not. <laughs> and so I said, okay, Stan, I'll try, but, you know, I, I have no experience at this. And uh, he said, you'll be fine. And uh, and I was fine. I, 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 did, I did a good job until the point where the entire staff was let go. And uh, then we all became freelance. And it was... Uh, but however, um, I don't know if, if I'm going, just stop me if I'm going on too much. Oh, no, no, you're, you're just fine. It's great. Well, uh, soon after I, uh, I, we, we were all, all released. They hired, uh, hired back, uh, a 
they turned into Marvel at that point. They had had some kind of financial dealings and problems, and uh, so they stopped Timely Comics and started Marvel Comics. And they rehired a, a lot of people that, that were necessary on staff for production purposes, some of the uh, superhero editors and so on. And Stan called me and said, I want you to do uh, Super Rabbit. So I started doing Super Rabbit. And um, I kind of fell in love with Super Rabbit. You know, uh, Silly Seal and Ziggy Pig were sort of uh, wartime characters. Everything, all the adventures that they were on involved fighting the Nazis. Yeah. which seems ridiculous to have a little seal and a little pig going after Hitler. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and all those, the animal strips were beginning to die. Uh, the, after the war, uh, superheroes started to come back and, or to come up. And uh, Timely Comics was concentrating on Captain America, the Human Torch, Submariner, and so on. But Teenage became very big. And uh, so as the animal strips were fading away, uh, even though I, I loved doing Super Rabbit, uh, Stan called me up and says, you're not going to do Super Rabbit anymore. You're going to do Patsy Walker. Wow. And again, I said to Stan, I've never done a teenage drawing in my life. I mean, I didn't know if I could even draw uh, things other than Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal. Um, so he says, you can do it. Just write story, right? He gave me a title. He said, do a thing called Genie. So he said, Jeannie is a teenage girl, and she has, give her a boyfriend, and give her a couple of boyfriends, and uh, just, you know, do it like the way Archie does it. So I did Jeannie for a while, and then uh, they had a, a, a successful feature called uh, Patsy Walker, and uh, he I guess he was so uh, pleased with my uh, writing of the uh, uh, genie thing. He said, you'll do Patsy Walker now. So I started doing Patsy Walker. And I, at first it was one comic book. Then it was two comic books. Then it was three comic books. And I was doing one or two or three a month. It was driving me crazy. Did and, you use... How did, oh, I'm sorry. Go, no, go know. ahead. When you... This is just something I'm curious about, and yeah. I'm sure there may be some listeners that are going to feel the same way. When you know, when you're tasked with something that you're not comfortable with, you're in a, and you're just, you're like, God, you know, I don't draw teenage women or whatever. Did you, did you have like a, a morgue or some kind of library of, of books that or reference pictures that you use? How did you, you know, how did you tackle that challenge of, you, like you said, you didn't really have a lot of experience in that genre. Well. Uh... You know, I think uh, many of us, not all, but many of us uh, regarded ourselves as uh, uh, journeyman cartoonists, um, that uh, any, any assignment that would come along, 
sooner or later we would conquer it. I, I, my friends were that way. Will Elder and uh, a number of others that I've known. Um, I even, you know, I even did a uh, a crime uh, story that I illustrated for Stanley. I only did it once, but so uh, what you do is you you take a look at the things that are around that are the best. Uh, the in in romance, I think Stan Drake was a remarkable artist. And I had a lot of his, uh, uh, a lot of his work that I studied, but I also studied, uh, you know, the other uh, successful feature. A friend of mine, um, Gil Fox, he he did a, I forget, I forget the name of the feature. I I think it was, no, well I can't remember now. But he was very good at, at drawing. Uh, teenage girls so i i studied his style and uh, eventually you know you come up with your own with your own style it, it, it develops i i i don't know that uh, i i've recently seen some of my patsy walker stuff and while it wasn't the greatest it wasn't the worst either <laughs> Uh, I do remember seeing some of it, and it's fantastic. So that and that makes perfect sense. You go with, you know, look at, look at what works, what's working out there at the time, and what's, and then pull. And you from can it always, then, uh, Todd, if I may interrupt, sure. uh, you can always. Uh, there are many aspects to to an assignment. Uh, the major. The ma- the major advice I would give anyone who was going to get into any business uh, is uh, if you're uh, working for somebody else, is you have to solve their problem. You don't solve your problem. Uh, right. And so, uh, and a comic, a comic strip, a comic book. Uh, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of stories, a combination of artwork. It's even a combination of, of proper lettering to fit the, 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 the whole thing. So uh, if, if, if you're a little bit weak in one area, you, 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 you should be very strong in, a, in another area, and it, it, can, it can carry it. I mean, after all, uh, you can't say that... Uh, Archie Comics was was drawn originally uh, by a great uh, uh, illustrator. I mean, it was you know it it was this kid with crosshatch lines on the back of his head. I mean, right. he, he wasn't realistic at all. He was a cartoon character. Later on, when Danny DiCarlo took over, he 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 upgraded it a great deal, and so did Stan Goldberg. In my case, I tried to improve my drawing as much as I could, but you know, there's always a limit, and uh, I'm never going to be a Norman Rockwell. But uh, one has to recognize when you're telling a story in a comic book that the story also has power, and uh, I put a tremendous amount of concentration into writing 
good stories. I figured that whatever shortcomings there might be in 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 the you know particular points of the art, as long as the story was solid, you know it would carry it. And and I think uh, you know that's why I was able to do it for five years and sold very well. Yeah, without a doubt. So, so now you're you're deep into the Patsy Walker here, and then and you're just still leaning toward Mad, correct? Well, I I, I I wasn't leaning towards Mad. I mean, uh, Mad Mad was uh, probably my natural strong suit, but I never dreamt I'd ever get to anything like that when I was working on Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal and, and Patsy Walker and Super Evan Genie and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, I was just satisfied to make a living. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were, most of us were just peons in this field. And uh, uh, you got paid by the page. You, you got, it, it was piecework. You the main reason why I liked writing my stuff was not only to help carry the artwork, but you get paid twice. Uh, they paid they paid separately for the lettering. They paid separately for the penciling, separately for the inking. So the more you could do, you know, the better living you could make. And uh, sure. that was the prime motive. It wasn't to be become another Rembrandt in the business. But uh, when Harvey Kurtzman uh, dragged me into the satire world, I mean, I, I saw uh, my closest friend, Willie Elder, whom I went to high school, uh, went, I went pre-high school, I went met him, uh, he he teamed up with uh, Harvey Kurtzman and Will Elder and Harvey Kurtzman uh, were the first ones to uh, work on the uh, uh, Mad comic book, along with John Severin and a few others. And I saw their work and I said, "Oh boy, what a dream job this is!" Uh, Harvey Kurtzman is a genius. And Willie is doing magnificent uh, parodies of uh, of other comic features, and I admired it enormously. But th- never thought for a moment that I'd ever be involved in it. And but and Harvey Car- Kurtzman called me and asked me if I wanted to uh, work for Mad, and I told him that I couldn't afford to because I had all this comic book stuff from Stan Lee that was. Uh, you know, was more lucrative. So uh, we put that off. And then, you know, then Harvey, uh, when when he left, uh, he left Mad Magazine to start uh, Trump for, uh, for Hefner of Playboy. Uh, I, at that point, uh, I, I, I joined him. He, Offered me a, uh, an editor's job on on this new magazine, and I went with it. I see. Interesting. Okay. And now, this is now. But what time period was this around? In the late was this like early sixties? Late. 
50s? No, I would say that uh, the meeting with Harvey was probably 1954 or 55, mid-50s, yeah. And then to... I think a lot of people don't, well, there's, there's probably some that do, of course, but the, there's probably a bunch of people that do not realize that there was a time period, it was at 57, I think to 1963, you were doing a uh, strip for the um, uh, New York uh, Herald Tribune. Tribune. Yeah, that was, it was like a, and I saw some of those, by the way, I went online and looked and um, the, it's like the, it's a very elongated Style yeah, of tall tales, tall tales, and it's so. And I look, I said, these are fantastic. And I, I, as I'm looking at that, I'm thinking to myself, why? How did? Why did this ever even end? You know, why would this have been cut short? Uh, and it, it just seemed amazing to me that it would, because it's a lot better than stuff I see out there now. So it's you know, it's uh, and it was so unique in the fact you know it was so vertically enhanced, and uh, hence the name Tall Tales. Um, was that a really good experience? And yes, did you enjoy I did doing it that? for about six years. Uh, the way Tall Tales came about was that uh, I went with Harvey on this Trump thing with uh, with Hefner's outfit, and that magazine only lasted two issues. So <laughs> uh, Harvey, we were all out of work at that point, and Harvey said, "Why don't we all pitch in?" and uh, publish our own magazine and he said he created this design and it was called uh, humbug and uh, so uh, most of us put our life savings into this publication which doesn't mean that it was a lot of money a couple of thousand dollars was uh, was a life savings at that time and uh, and we published that humbug for 11 issues and and that folded and now i was uh you know all my savings went went into that magazine and uh, i had no other work and all my bridges were burned and i didn't know what to do and a friend of mine david gantz came to me and said he had sold the comic strip to uh, one of the syndicates uh, through an agent, and I said, "Well, uh, can I can I have the name of the agent? Maybe I'll I'll try to create something." And I I came up with Tall Tales and took it to the agent, and she sold it immediately. So uh, I was saved by the bell. I'd been, you know, on the ropes for about six months, I think. Mm. So. Uh, Borrowing on life insurance and all of that kind of stuff. It was a dark period, but that that lifted my spirits. And uh, Tall Tales, by the way, was very successful abroad. Uh, I don't I, I don't know how many papers that we had in in the United States, but uh, bec- because it was pantomime and it didn't need to be translated. It was published in a lot of countries uh, in Asia and Europe. Uh, had a, over a hundred papers, but um, and it was daily and Sunday. Wow! 
uh, I, I don't know if you ever saw any of the Sunday pages. There's a guy in, in Holland who is sending, emailing them to me now, and I don't hardly even remember them anymore. There are collectors who have these, who have these Sunday pages of mine, uh, which they uh, hold in very high regard. And, uh, I get a kick out of uh, seeing them now. I don't have copies or anything. Mm, I have not seen one. That's incredible. I would love to see that. Well, if you give me your email, I'll forward, uh, I'll forward them to you. Oh, definitely, I will do that. Well, so well I have your email. You, you... Well, that's true. Yeah, through our correspondence before. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have it. So, if I if if I figure out how to forward it to, I I will because. He recently sent me six of them, and in one of them, in one of them, uh, it it just blew my mind because it's six tall panels, and I try to think, you know, very often I try to think of things that would fit into a tall panel, so that there would be some uh, logical reason of why these panels are so tall. <laughs> So in this one, there's a, 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 a you know a um, American, a Native American, an Indian, is sitting next to a uh, totem pole, a totem pole made up of uh, uh, a bunch of birds, and my little character comes up to him, and the 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 Indian is whole. Uh, the Native American is holding a a sign that says, uh, uh, "Your tell your fortune for a dollar." So my character uh, is slapping his knees, laughing and ridiculing this Indian, and the Indian uh, motions with his hand, and lightning comes, and all these totem pole birds descend on the character and they're fierce they, uh, so it, it i mean it looks just like angry birds right <laughs> and this this was uh, i mean it's very hard to describe this because you know there's a transition from a totem pole into live birds right. but it's logical in the drawing uh it's not it doesn't sound logical when you say it in words so it's a complete, they were, they were all visuals. And, uh, and I, you know, it just blew me away because I, I recently uh, uh, did a fold-in on Angry Birds. And here is something that I did with Angry Birds in 1961 or something like that. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> that's, a, well, that's a pretty good run, really. Six, it ran six years. Six so years. Not... Uh one of the one of the uh, reasons why uh, we be, we believe it died because uh, I I think the feature held up throughout the six years uh, on its own except for one little detail a new editor came into the Herald Tribune and uh, I I I think. Uh, I'll avoid avoid any kind of libel action by not giving either his name or my opinion of him. Okay. But he tried to 
transform all the comic strips that were in the Herald Tribune syndicate uh, because, uh, you know, uh, uh, sales were were not what everyone thought they should be. Of course, the Herald Tribune was going pretty much going out of business, so it didn't have the sales staff it needed. But whatever the reason was, things were not not going well. And he decided that to analyze every one of the cartoon strips. And when he came to mind, he said that American people do not like wordless cartoons. Pantomime is not popular in the United States. So if you want to keep doing tall tales, you have to put words in it. Well, I did, I did my best with it, but I'm really, I'm really a visual cartoonist, not a gag writer. And so, uh, uh, but I tried to do it and I did it the best I could. And I think they were, you know, they were, they were passable. I won't say they were brilliant. They were passable. And of course, immediately all the foreign papers canceled. That's, I was just going to say that would, to me would be a death blow for any kind of international presence. That's what immediately happened. It, uh, from uh, 105 papers or something like that, it went down to three. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Say no more. I get that. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, uh, sometimes sometimes meddlers uh, are brilliant, and they, they can bring things that are moribund back to life. But in most cases, that doesn't happen. Yeah. That's sad in that regard. That's really what a shame. Uh, so, how did you get to the point where you? Um, what, what was your first fold in? Because this runs to sixty three. And was your first fold in with Matt in sixty four? Sixty four. Yeah, it was in okay, the so April is, issue of sixty four. So we're at a point now. This this ends and it's sixty three. So you're getting close to the fold in there, um, um, part of your uh, career. Yeah. Interesting. And were you kind of hesitant when that job came to you with, as far as the fold-ins? And was that something totally – or was that your was that your idea, I guess? Yes, coming, that was my okay. idea. What, now, how did that process take place? I mean, what was that all about? How did you reach, uh, reach the, you know, that idea? Well, to put it very simply, um, I have not been uh, employed – uh, since 1949, my my last my last and only job was with uh, Timely Comics, which, uh, as I said before, dismissed the staff in 1949. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, I was freelance. Now, when you're freelance, you are on your own. Nobody, you know, very few people come to freelance people and say. Uh, you want work? No. What you have to do when you're freelance is you have to hustle work. You know, whether you're an insurance salesman, people aren't going to come looking you up and saying, are you an insurance salesman? I'd like to buy some insurance. No. The insurance salesman goes and knocks on doors. Right. And that's what freelance cartoonists uh, do, essentially. 
uh, freelance artists of any kind, writers, I, you know, you, 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 first you create something and then you go and try to peddle it. So, uh, when I, I met, when Matt told me that, uh, the first, the first, my first, uh, appearance in Mad, uh, with, uh, after Harvey Kurtzman was gone, I did one thing for Harvey Kurtzman that appeared in Mad. No, I did uh, one thing that I wrote and drew, and another thing that I just wrote that uh, Jack Davis illustrated. But I, I don't think much more than that. Just a, a few things for him, and then he he left Mad. And then <clears throat> when all these other magazines that Harvey Kurtzman uh, uh, the these two magazines that Harvey Kurtzman and the rest of us were involved in, when they folded, I was sitting on about six or seven scripts that I had written uh, and expected to publish in, in our magazine. And now I'm, I'm out of work. I have no clients. I have no income. So I looked at these scripts and I said, what the hell, I'll call up Mad. They probably hate me because I worked with, uh, the, you know, the competition and, uh, I got Feldstein and I said to him, look, Al, I don't know if you, you're be interested in anything. I, uh, I, your former enemy, uh, have, uh, but I have a bunch of scripts that, uh, you know, I don't have anywhere to put them. And he said, come on down. And it, of course, what what it was was that Mad uh, uh, had been taken over by Al Felsen as the editor, and they were, uh, you know, constantly running out of script material to give to the artists. So writers were very important. And uh, I came down there, and they bought all the scripts right on the spot, and uh, and I became part of part of their team, their freelance team. And, uh, so now to make a long story short about the fold in, uh, you know, you go back to your, your studio or your home or wherever you work and you sit down and you say, now what's the next thing I can do for mad? And you try to think of something. So I spread out a whole bunch of magazines in front of me, and I said to myself, what can I do for Mad that's, you know, current? And I noticed that uh, a lot of the mag several of the magazines that were in front of me, like Playboy and Life Magazine and uh, National Geographic, had these fancy fold-outs. So it struck me, maybe Mad might be interested in going in the other direction, where hey, these magazines have these fancy, colorful fold-outs. Why not do a cheap, mad, black-and-white fold-in? I took it to Mad, showed it to... The first thing I said to Al Feldstein was, I've got an idea that I think is funny, but you're not going to buy it because it'll mutilate the magazine. So he said, let me see it. And he folded and unfolded. He said, I like this. I'm intrigued. So he ran into Bill Gaines, and when he came out, he said, Bill said, let's go with it. 
uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, that was in that was in 1964, and then I expected it to be a one shot. You know, you never never dreamt that one day Feldstein would call me up and say, "How about another fold in?" And uh, I said, "I don't know. I think that was it." <laughs> but uh, and it just kept on like that. Yeah, boy, did it ever. That's, you know, a funny story about that. And, I, and I'm sure there's other kids that can relate to this. That, that I mean, kids at that time. Um, I remember I wasn't always allowed to get mad when I was younger. But you always saw it. You saw it in the magazine uh, aisle in the stores when you, I'd go with my mom and the store or whatever. And I always tried my best to I'd, I'd get at it. Sometimes she, she'd let me, on a good day, she'd let me buy buy a copy and, you know, get home, take it home. But the whole key was to do the folding without, without, like you said, without putting a permanent crease. Yes, right. In the page. So, but I kind of relate it, and you're gonna, you may laugh or think this is odd, but I relate the foldings during my childhood to uh, the Rocky and Bullwinkle show, and I say that with the highest regard because. Oh, I remember that show. It, you, it is a kid. It, just like in some of your foldings, most of them when I was younger, I may not have understood the the joke yeah but i loved number one the transformation the concept behind your your fold in and the art that was just so fascinating just like rocky and bullwinkle i loved the art the simplicity but yet the just that was so funny but yet half the time i really didn't know what i was laughing at you know so and then as you get older you start to really appreciate appreciate it when you look back and like oh my god this was genius you know but but it, it had a mass appeal Yes, uh, you know, I've heard you know I've heard similar stories uh, you know many times, and of course it makes me feel great because uh, being able to reach uh, youngsters uh, who who look at your work and to to reach them on different levels uh, that makes me feel good because. Uh, you know, it means that there's more depth to it than than just simply something that hits you in the face right off. Right. And uh, uh, so, you know, it's been it's been great fun. I'm 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 still doing it, and I'm still enjoying it. And by the way, there is uh, I'll have this I'll have this um, out there on the website when I get the interview posted that that you can get the. Um, Foldins, the Mad Foldin Collection. I believe it goes from '64 to 2010 on Amazon. You can get that book, the the volume set there. Yes, um, it's a four so volume that, set. Right. It's it's really beautiful. I mean, uh, I I I had nothing to do with uh, you know getting it done because that's all done by the staff at Mad. Uh, they they you know they put it all together because they had to go into the archives to dig up all these old fold-ins. And, uh, and, you know, when they told me what they were doing, I said, great, that's wonderful. But uh, you never know what the final product is going to look like. And then when I saw it, I, I just, it bowled me over because it's really beautifully done. It's, a, it's one of the uh, most beautiful packages of reproductions, uh, quality paper, 
the color is excellent. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, I'm I was just so overwhelmed. I I I you know I couldn't get over it. Yeah, it had to make you feel good. I mean, oh, it made me feel like a million bucks because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I I I couldn't imagine anyone putting uh, that much effort into doing this. Yeah, well, it's just a perfect compliment to what you know, synonymous with the quality of work you did in there. I mean, it's it's that's fantastic. Well, um, and I don't want to force you to go. We covered a lot of ground. I don't want to force you to go back or too far here. But but uh, there was one question I didn't ask and i guess um during a lot of this time here when you know you were out of work and there was a, a period of just financial drought were you married at the time with a family were yes you... yes i i i was married in uh, uh in washington dc uh while i was still in service my my wife was also in service uh we were uh it was a wedding of two sergeants <laughs> and uh oh. And then when I when when I got out, uh, uh, we we bought a home. Uh, you know, I I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> bought a home, had two children, bought a car, and <clears throat> but it was it was on the basis of my having a job at uh, Timely Comics, so I did have uh, a weekly income. And, uh, but, uh, then like many of uh, my friends, when timely comics fold, uh, you know, when it, uh, it didn't fold what it did, it reorganized and it, it uh, dismissed most of the staff. That had to be scary. Oh, it was terrifying. I mean, uh, you, you bought all these things because oh, you were, you know, you you had a job, and uh, and uh, it was it was. I mean, I I didn't I didn't do a single paying piece of work for about six months. Uh, see, and to me, pressure like that, oh. financial pressure and worry, to me stifles creativity. So the fact that you got you broke through that is a miracle. Uh, actually, what what. Uh, what saved me was, uh, as I mentioned before, that Stan Lee called me up and said, um, I want you to do uh, Super Rabbit, and then he gave me right. Patsy Walker. So I, I uh, you know, he came to the rescue again. Stan and I had a very uh, warm relationship. I mean, we didn't, uh, you know, we weren't social buddies, but... Uh, I, I, it was still an employer-employee relationship, but but we we respected each other, and he respected my ability, and he he, he saved me uh, a couple of times. Now, with the Mad Foldens, you were doing another feature, were you not, called Snappy Answers to Stupid Questions? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did that come about? Uh, I lived on Long Island, and every time that there was a storm, the antenna on my chimney for my television would get knocked over. So I, I would have to go out and borrow a, an extension ladder from my neighbor, and I have a terrible fear of heights. I would climb up and, uh, you know, hug the chimney 
with one hand while I'm trying to straighten the the antenna with the other hand and then get a pliers out of my back pocket. While I'm doing this and I'm shaking like a leaf because I'm up two and a half stories high and uh, I hear footsteps on the ladder. And as the footsteps get closer and closer to me, my son's voice says, where's mom? And I said, with trembling voice, I said, I have killed her and I'm stuffing her down the chimney. <laughs> At which point the, the footsteps ran down the ladder and got got out of there. So when I came down, I had to profusely apologize to my son, but uh, uh, because my son and daughter went... When you when you're freelance and you work at uh, you work home, they they come home from school and the first thing they do is they barge in and if she the mother isn't there, they come to the father. Where's mom? You know, so yeah. it's like a cliche. And I I you know I apologize to my son later on and so forth, but I it kept gnawing at me and I kept thinking. I was chuckling to myself I said, because it was it struck me funny afterwards. I said, kid comes up and asks you, where's mom? And you say, you've killed her and stuffing her down the chimney. That's, that's a pretty smart-ass thing to say. I mean, <laughs> but uh, on the other hand, maybe it, was, it wasn't such a bright question to ask when a guy is up there on a <laughs> chimney, you know. So yeah. I, I figured, hey. I mean, we're all plagued by these kinds of questions that we, we either we can't answer them, or, or the answer is so obvious that the question shouldn't have been asked. <laughs> so I sat down and I started to think of things that have happened to, that happened to me. I, one of them was that I, I had uh, once uh, scraped the side of my. A garage when I was trying to back my car in and my neighbor said did you have an accident no he said have an accident I said no thank you I already have one <laughs> you know so I, I recalled that one I said maybe I can use that one and yeah. and I brought it in to Al Feldstein at Matt and he immediately loved it I just you know I had about three or four samples but they were only one answer. And what Feldstein very wisely said to me was, Al, we can't have, you know, like two drawings on a page with two answers. I mean, it's like eating up too much space with just a, a small payoff. He said, how about if we have three answers? I said, that's great, Al. We'll do three answers, and then we'll do a blank one where the kid can write in his funny answer. And that's how the whole thing came into being. And then I did paperback books, eight of them, and they sold like crazy. So, you know, it, 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 snappy answers. My son's question has been very good to me. Yeah, I'll say. That's fantastic. What a great story. Now you, you've you've won countless awards throughout your career, and and I don't want to just like broad brush it, but just for the sake of time, you know, there's there's uh, the National Cartoonist Society Advertising Illustration Award in '73, 
Yeah. Special fe- special features award for seventy one and seventy five, and then um, you've got a Rubens yes. uh, cartoonist of the year award in, in two thousand eight. Yes. Um, going through a lot of these as you kind of do an inventory in your mind. And now, is there any particular one though that stands out the most to you, or makes you really the proudest looking back on it today, or, or are they all equally as special, or is there just certain ones that really, you know, just mean a lot to you? Well, I, I, I have to, I have two answers to that. One is that uh, a neighbor, a neighbor of mine, had uh, about five children. And someone once asked her which one was her favorite, <laughs> and she said, uh, "Get out of here." I mean, <laughs> right? How can you? Yeah, yeah. but uh, I would have to say the Reuben is is the most uh, uh, the mo- well is the most prestigious because that's that represents all the cartoonists. Uh, or the, uh, the the majority of cartoonists uh, are represented by the Rubin. Uh, the uh, uh, you know the the award the Harvey Awards are are a particular uh, uh, treasure for me because of my close association with Harvey. Sure. So uh, it's very you know it's very hard to pick uh, pick a favorite. I, I I'm I'm uh, you know, I'm very happy that uh, that I got any of them. Now, uh, kind of focusing on your your the Mad Foldens, what is your what is your process as far as your tools? Do you use? Are you have you converted to digital? Are you still are you still doing the conventional tools like you use water brush? What what? Um, I'm a dinosaur. Do, oh well, you know, hey. I don't. I'm not. I use some digital myself, but I still like that pencil to paper feel. I don't know what it is, but you know, I, I don't. I I do all my all all my work. I do by hand, and uh, in, in, even in the uh, uh, my biography book, in which I did I I think anywhere from sixty five to seventy illustrations. I would have loved to have colored them all by hand uh, with watercolor, but uh, there was not enough time for that. I, that would take forever. So I got my very good friend, Ryan Flanders, who is in the uh, uh, art department of Mad Magazine, and he did the coloring uh, on, on the computer so that the the combination of me and and Ryan uh, I think the the illustration came out to be just right uh, now uh, one one time I brought my, uh, I do the paintings of the fold in about twice the size of what it appears like in in the magazine so it's about 15 by 20 so it's a fairly large painting. Yeah. And uh, uh, one day I I brought it in, and you know, they were all sitting around at their computers, uh, which they can do almost anything on. And I said, boy, I envy you guys. 
uh, one of these days you got to teach me how to do the, the, this folding and color because I'm, you know, it takes me a week to paint this Verschluggener thing. And they all in a chorus said, oh, please, Al, don't stop painting them. We love to see it, uh, see the painting. Because uh, there is, uh, the computer is marvelous. And if I learned to do it on the computer, I probably could do it in one third the time that it takes me to paint it. But uh, all of these things are just different kinds of tools. And the finished art uh, looks different with, with, with different tools. The work looks different. And uh, I happen to enjoy the feel of a brush and, and paint. Uh, I enjoy doing it that way. Uh, when I make a mistake, it's, 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 very, it's much more difficult to correct than it would be to put, do a couple of clicks on a computer. But sure. I, I figured out how to, how to make massive corrections uh, and, uh, and uh, I, I even enjoy doing that because it makes me feel good that I know how to do it. So are your, are your originals going to, uh, do you keep the originals or do they go to, um, mad? What, who, uh, I, do they have some kind of... I, I, we, uh, after, after issue number 317 of mad, we started getting our, our, uh, the originals were returned to all of us. Uh, prior to number 317, it belonged to MAD. I see. So I don't have any of the early, uh, uh, early, uh, I don't have any of, uh, of any of my art that appeared in MAD prior to number 317. As a matter of fact, it's kind of funny. I was in Philadelphia a couple of days ago, and uh, or last week rather, and um, a guy came up to. I was there for a book signing, and he brought a whole batch of my originals from before issue number three seventeen, and um, I for me to autograph, and it kind of gave me a funny feeling that. Uh, he owns them, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. It's got to be strange. Do you kind of, and this is maybe, I don't want you to divulge your trade secrets here, but do you, uh, when you when you have the folding, do you work, like, how, how do I, I'm not trying to phrase this question. Imagine the folding finished. You, you've closed it up, you know, you see the joke. Is that how you work from that way backwards, or do you work from the idea and then, Gio, how can I make this fold in and look like something else? Or do you already have the finished idea in your mind and draw that out and then work backward? I mean, is that, no, you know what I'm it, saying? It's, it's, it's uh, uh, logical steps. Uh, first, things that, first thing that happens uh, is the people at Mad Magazine uh, nowadays, not th that's not the way it worked years ago, but nowadays uh, they have a group of very, very smart editors at MAD now, young, bright guys. And uh, they, they have their ear 
to what's going on in the world of movies, television, internet, and all of that stuff, some of which I'm not as familiar with. Sure. So they have a bull session in which they kick around ideas that are hot that may involve a, a celebrity like Kim Kardashian or uh, Bieber or someone like that, whom I hardly uh, have any idea about. And they come up with the topic, and they, they call me and they say, we, we would love to see something about such and such and such and such and such and such. And I say, okay. And they tell me what, 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 uh, you know, what's behind it all. And, you know, we talk about it. And, uh, and, uh, then I, I sit down with a sheet of paper and I, I try to figure out what the big, uh, what the finished picture would be. Let's say, it's a it's a uh, uh, it's Angry Birds. Mm-hmm. So what I do on this, I make a, a little drawing of of the finished uh, uh, shape, and I put a couple of Angry Birds in it, and then I take another sheet of paper and I draw it with an empty space in the middle, and then try to think of what can I fill this in with that would make that would hide the two things on each side. And uh, this is all done with very, very sketchy pencil things. And then finally, the picture comes into my, my aged brain, and I see the whole thing. I, don't ask me how, but I see, I see the solution. And now it's just a matter of making a larger version which I uh, which I scan and uh, send to Mad, and they say great, or they say, well, we'd like you to change such and such. And I, if I think it it'll work better the way they say, then I do it. I try it their way. I mean, we work together very, very well. There's never a problem, and uh, you know, the it's gotten to the point where. We understand each other so well that uh, I can't remember uh, having anything rejected. I mean, the idea, my idea goes to them. Uh, they tweet, tweak it a little bit here and there. It comes back to me. I, I, I tweak it for them, send it back, and then they say, great, go with it. And then I just have to start the, uh, the big picture. That's a great way of doing it, though. That way you get joint ownership along the way, you know, Well, you, that whole process. Oh, well, it's, 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 it's great fun if you're working with uh, compatible uh, people. You know, it's, sure. this is not, uh, these guys are not corporate America. These are not, uh, these are not Wall Street suit types or Madison Avenue suit types. Uh, Mads guys are down-to-earth guys. They All they want to do is get the thing done and get it uh, done as well as we can do it. And since I'm on the same team with them, that's what I want to do. You've recently co-authored a wonderful biography uh, with in 2010 with uh, author Mary Lou Weissman? That's correct. 
it's called L. Jaffe's Mad Life, and it was published, uh, let's see, by It Books, I believe. It's an imprint of HarperCollins. What was that experience like working with um, Mary Lou Wiseman? Was that a, was it a good experience? That- yes. Uh, on the whole, it was a, a, a wonderful partnership. Uh, Mary Lou and I became extremely good friends. We had been, we had known each other for many years, but through this project, which went so smoothly between the two of us. I mean, we spent almost, uh, I don't know, nine, ten months uh, of interviews and recordings, and then she would write a chapter and send it to me, and I would read it and and, uh, uh, maybe remember something that should be corrected. And it was back and forth. But uh, as far as the illustrations are concerned... I would just uh, read the chapter and and go to work. Now, the only part of it that was uh, sometimes a little difficult is that when you um, when you rake through the ashes of your life and uh, there are some very unhappy memories and and very sad stories, uh, it's a little bit painful at times and. Uh, Sure. But uh, you know, we all have we all have pain in our lives, and we just have to move on. Yep, I hear and that. That's kind of what molds us too into who we are today. You yes. Know? And, well, um, Al, I think we've covered a lot here. Thank you so much again. This, this, this was wonderful. You're welcome. I I hope it okay. comes Thank out you. right. I am sure it will. Thank you very much, and have a great day. You too. Bye bye. All right. Well, that concludes the interview with L. Jaffe. I hope everyone enjoyed it as much as I did. He truly is a legend. Hey, if you want to purchase L. Jaffe's Mad Life biography, published by It Books, you can find it at Amazon.com. The Folden collection that we talked about and referenced in the interview can also be found at Amazon.com, as well as most fine book retailers nearest you. Well... I hear the closing music coming on fast, and uh, I guess this means it's time to head out of here. So I leave you with uh, well wishes and hopes that you will come back to listen to the next Boeing podcast. Well, that's it, folks. Good night. Have a great one. Have a great month, and uh, we'll see you later on. Take care. Bye. Dad, this one's for you. <laughs>